to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. For those of you who can't tell, uh, my wife was born in India. I was born in Singapore. We met in Toronto, Canada. We got married there. And then our sons were born in Toronto and Vancouver because we moved there. Then we moved to LA. And today we're living in a country called Uganda. Anybody know where Uganda is? Yeah. It's in East Africa. And we've been living there for three years now. And some of you might wonder why on earth would someone move an entire family, especially when my kids are so young, to a country that is filled with its challenges. And I want to say this, for many of us in our Christian walk, there are defining moments in our life that God encounters us with that changes us. Is that true? Okay. And for me was an orphan girl in an orphanage in 2011. I had just finished a crusade. We had just seen signs and wonders and people giving their life to Jesus Christ, Muslims coming, and we were praying for them, and it's incredible stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, I had request that the... Uh, that that my team would, would be led to an orphanage, to an orphanage, uh, to check it out. So here we are. I was led into an orphanage. It was an orphanage by YWAM. Everybody knows YWAM? Yeah? And uh, as I went into YWAM, orphanage, uh, first thing I saw was a wall just about this size with over 350 pictures of children that has been through there. And on that wall of pictures, there are stars on each of them, and each star represents the kid that has passed on on their sight. Then all of a sudden I realized this is not an ordinary orphanage, it's an orphanage for dying children. So as I was walking through the rooms, one by one, I was seeing kids with different medical issues, abandoned by their clan, abandoned by the parents. Some don't even know who their parents are. And as I was going through each room, my team couldn't handle what they see. So they, they asked to be excused, and they walked out. And I just did what, you know, what I think a pastor should do. I'm just like, okay, you know, just, just do what I think I know I should do, right? Then at the end of the whole thing, I, I stepped outside the front door, and there were a couple of kids playing there. And one of them was a 16-month-old Muslim girl. And she was, she was there, and, I, and, I, and I, I went down, and I, I gestured for her to come to me. And the next thing I know, she dragged herself with both arms towards me. And I picked her up, and I put her right on my chest. And all I felt at that moment was just bones covered in skin. And I knew something was up. And I, as I was holding her, I was terrified. 
because I didn't know what to do. And I was in my spirit, I was crying out to the Lord. I'm like, God, what is it that you want from me at this moment? What can I do? What can I give? And the father said to me in that point, just be still because I'm about to show, show you something that will redefine your life. And in that moment, second after second, the girl and I, we eye gazed. And the more we eye gazed, the tighter our hugs became. Are you with me? And as, as our hugs got tighter, as our eye gaze got stronger, I felt this tangible love that flowed from my flesh into her flesh and from her flesh into my flesh. True story. And in that point, the father said to me, he said, this girl doesn't need another crusade. This girl doesn't need another gospel rally, another anointed preacher, another signs and wonders. This girl doesn't need another Christian, Christian religion. This girl needs the touch of her father that will hold her in his arms, look her in the eyes and say, it's okay. And as I, as I, as I felt that love being exchanged between her and me, all I could do was to embrace the moment of love. Are you with me? Now that ruined me for months to come. Because as, as I was leaving the orphanage, I was crying out to God and I'm like, God, what are you doing to me? <laughs> what is my life about? And I'm like, God, where are the fathers? Where are the churches? In response to these orphans that I'm seeing that are dying in, in front of my eyes. And she did die, by the way, three weeks after. And as I was crying out to God, God spoke to me and he said, Well, where are the fathers and where are the mothers in response to this girl? And I said, Come on, God, you know this. The church, they have good leaders, but they don't have fathers. They have good leaders, but they don't have mothers. I'm like, God, you know the church does not have fathers or mothers for these orphans. And then the Lord said to me, well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be a good old-fashioned missionary that go in and fly in for two weeks and preach a good gospel, get many people safe and then leave and then come back the following six months and do the same thing? Are you just going to fast and pray? Or is there something that you're willing to do? Is there something that you, you're willing to explore more than just fasting and praying, more than just donating money, more than just coming in for two weeks? And I say, okay, Lord, what is it that you want? And it's at that point in 2011 that my wife and I went on a journey to explore how we can begin to move into Uganda into the continent of Africa and, 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 and raise a generation of fathers and mothers that will be the champions for these orphans. Are you with me? And that's why we're there today. After wrestling out in our marriage, because she's obviously saying no at that point, and we had to work it out. We had to work it out. But after a few years of working it out, we moved there in 2014. And here we are, standing in front of you after three years. And I'll tell you more about our story as we go along. But this morning as I, as I teach, as I share, 
I pray that the words that you hear will not just remain as knowledge, but it will illuminate your spirit that will cause you to transform it into something that you can walk in. Are you with me? We always talk about revelation as an encounter with God. But can I tell you, an encounter with God is just the beginning of a revelation. Are you with me? An encounter with God is just the beginning of a revelation that God is about to show you something about himself and something about himself for you. And in that place, you have to compute it and train your spirit to walk in it. Until you become the full manifestation of that illumination. And when you begin to do that, it becomes a full revelation. Amen? I come from a revival movement. Trust me, I do. And I have been out under the anointing a million times. And I've pastored churches that have been out under anointing a million times. But yet time and time again... In the anointing, it is amazing. But when they go home, it's the same stuff that they have to see. It's the same wife that they have to meet. Are you with me? It's the same marital, marital issues that they have to deal with. What, what's next? How do you compute what you just encounter into a full manifestation of your life so that you become the living gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that, Lord, we can be here together as a family. Not as a church, but as a family. As your sons and daughters. And this morning, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would call our spirit to attention. In the name of Jesus, that you will open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Holy Spirit will give you full permission to do everything that you want to do in us today, including myself. That, Lord, we would transform into the likeness of Christ every day and every second of our life, sleeping or awake. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, I was given the passage, the fourth words of Jesus... On the cross. Now, this statement that you often hear, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is not a statement. It is not a statement. It is not a saying. It it is a shriek of anguish cry from the Lord Jesus Christ that has echoed through eternity. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a shriek of anguish, cry. Because Jesus had been through a lot of things to come to that point to make the exclamation. He was betrayed by Judas, as you know. He was abandoned by his disciples. He was denied by Peter, he was rejected by his own people when Pilate handed him over to the mob and said, what then shall I do with Jesus Christ? And what did they say? What did the mob say? Crucify him. Crucify him. 
Let the other one go, but crucify this guy. Have him executed. You know that word executed in Matthew 27, to hand Jesus over to be executed? It's not just a beheading. If you look at the Greek word, it really means to abolish somebody, to annihilate somebody, to completely destroy everything that he stood for. They literally want to bring him to nothing. Are you with me? It wasn't just a, oh yeah, I'm going to put him on an electric chair. It was a, with vengeance, I want to completely suck everything that he has done on earth. I want to completely obliviate it. Are you with me? He was rejected by his own people when they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And in the place of rejection by his own people, he was left to survive on his own. Flogged 39 times. And some of you probably already know with every flog, with every stroke that went down on him, flesh was torn out. Stripped of his clothes, adorned with a scarlet robe. There was an act of mockery. Put on a crown of thorns that pierced his brow. Put a staff on his hands. And then the soldiers went in front of him and mocked him and said, Oh, hail, king of the Jews. Are you with me? And they sped on him. And they took the staff and they struck him on the head over and over and over again, only to awaken him because earlier on he was flogged 39 times into semi-consciousness. Are you with me? And so they deliberately strike him over and over again to awaken him for the final cruel torture. That is your Jesus and that is my Jesus. And after doing that, they put the cross on him. And as he was walking down towards the place of crucifixion, they offered him a drink. It's a wine vinegar, isn't it? Did you know that Jesus tasted it and he rejected it? Did you know that wine vinegar in the Roman time was meant to be given to the condemned criminal as a painkiller to lessen the effect of what's to come? But Jesus, who tasted the wine vinegar, rejected that drink. Why did he do that? Because he refused to take that drink because he wanted to take on the full brunt of all of the wrath of God for all humanity for all time for you and me. So that he can endure everything that you and I are supposed to endure on that cross to take on the wrath that was meant for you and I on that cross to fill the fullness of the pain that you and I deserve. And he rejected the painkiller and said, uh-uh, I'm not going to take it because I'm going to take all of it, all of the wrath of God on me for all humanity, for all time. That is your Jesus. That is the Jesus we worship this morning. That is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he would leave his throne and become that very person that we just sang about. 
that we just talked about this morning. Led to the cross. He was hung. And you know the gruesomeness of being crucified on the cross. But that wasn't a crushing blow. Do you know what the crushing blow is? The crushing blow for Jesus, I believe, was the sense of abandonment and rejection as the Father turned his face away. That is your Jesus. That is my Jesus. And it's at that point, rejected by mankind, rejected by the Father, that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That statement doesn't come cheap. That statement comes with a lot of baggage just before that happened. It carried a weight. And you could feel it this morning. In other words, Jesus was saying, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why am I forsaken? Why am I left alone? Why do I feel like I'm the only last man person here and no one else is standing with me? Because that was true. Are you with me? He was rejected by his friends. He was rejected by Peter. He was betrayed by Judas. And he was rejected by the Father. And here he stands. At this moment in time. Crying this statement out. Crying this. Shriek of. Anguish crying like. My God, my God. What has happened to me? Can I tell you something? It's in that place when Jesus was left with just him and him alone, stripped of everything, that we have to wonder why did he continue to choose to remain on the cross? Because he could have called the angels down and burned everything down. He could have just said, hey, man, okay, you're right. I'm not Jesus the Christ. Are you with me? He could have sold out. He could have do whatever he could do to get off that moment. But he chose to be on that cross even in the place of rejection and abandonment. Oftentimes in our Christian walk, we have that manifest presence where we can feel the presence of God. Is that true? We can feel the relationship that God is whoo, right by my side. Is that true? Oftentimes in our church life, there are moments where the Spirit pours out and you could feel an outpouring of anointing. You walk in and you go like, ah, I can feel His presence. Is that true? And you can touch the tangible glory. Is that true? And we all like that, right? But there are times in our Christian journey where we are stripped of everything. Where we go into the wilderness. Where we can't, we think we can't, but we can't feel that presence. I don't know if that's true of some of you, but that's my journey. Where God would lead me from a manifest presence into a wilderness presence where I feel like all relationships <laughs> have ceased around me. It's not giving me the life that I need. I'm talking to my friends, but it's not speaking into that, that place in the sweet spot of my spirit that I can be revived. Are you following me? Yeah. 
Is that, am I the only ones going through this kind of journey? Can you identify with me? And then we go into a place where we come into worship and we're, we're crying out to God and we're like, okay, God, I want, I, I'm trying to reach for you. I'm trying to get into your presence. But no matter what you do, no matter how much speaking in tongues you try to pray, it's dry. Is that fair? You get what I'm saying? I've been through that. And in that place, when you're stripped of almost everything, the only thing you have left is your faith and the principles of the Word of God that has been instilled in you during your times of relationship with God. Are you with me? And I believe that when Jesus hung on the cross, he was stripped of all that relationship. He was stripped of all that anointing. He was stripped of all the glory. He was left with nothing except faith and the principles of the word that he had been instilled with when he spent time with the Father. And those are the moments that you're going to hang on to your faith Barely to the word that was spoken to you months ago, years ago. I go, okay, God, I'm not going to let go. I'm just going to hold on to this in spite of what I'm feeling and not feeling. Are you with me? You see, those are the moments where God challenges us to go deeper in our convictions. Those are the moments where God puts us to the test to see how much of a conviction do we believe in the things that we believe? Are you with me? We've been in Uganda for three years. Can I tell you the first six months, we were robbed six times. I was thrown in the Kenyan jail one time. Falsely accused, mind you. They accused me of speeding, and I'm, I, I'm very sure I wasn't speeding. And my entire team was put in jail because they wanted 100 US dollars on the side. So I refused, so we all went to jail, and we sat there. But we were robbed six times, and on the fourth time when we were robbed, can I tell you, I was awake. They came at 2.30 in the morning. We were on the second floor, we were in an apartment, second floor. They came right through our window. I heard the sound, so I checked the apartment and I saw nothing because it was all dark. And I, I sat on my bed. I couldn't sleep so I started reading on my iPad. And what I didn't know was they went into my son's room and they started counting money right beside my son's bed where he was sleeping. My son actually saw the, the burglar. And at 3.30 in the morning I heard sounds in my bedroom and I turned my iPad and I see this guy right by the foot of my bed. I jumped out of my bed and I chased him down the, floor, down the stairs right to the wall where he jumped over the barbed wire. And there were two of them. And the police came and I'm like, oh, okay, it took you an hour and a half, huh? Just to come in to save us. But they took everything. The burglars took everything. They took our passports. Oh, yeah, they took our marriage search. They took everything. I lost everything. I lost videos and photos of my kids since, since they were birthed. It was in a hard drive. They took everything. 
I don't have any photos of my kids. I lost everything. They took our money. My son actually cried out in the morning. He's like, my iPad. I'm like, okay, there's, there's more than just an iPad that you lost. Because <laughs> he had worked very hard on a certain game that he played, you know. He's like, I worked so hard to get to that stage. And they took it. I'm like, all right, all right, son. I get it. I get it. And the police came. And they're like, okay, well, where did they jump? And I'm like, right, right here, this fence, this wall. And he's like, well, I don't think so. I think he jumped over there. And I'm like, come on. I ran. I stood here. I saw him jump. He's like, no, you must be dreaming. And I'm like, okay, which part of I ran down the stairs to this wall don't you understand? Are you following me? <laughs> All right. And the best part is this guy, when I was driving with, with him to the police station, He's like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. I train pastors. And then he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm a believer too. I'm like, oh, good, good, good for you. I'm like, no, no, you know, I thought maybe now there's a, there's a way in, right, a relationship, you know, because we're on the same team. And then I said, well, since we lost our passports, um, we need an official document from the police station to say that, hey, we were robbed, so I need that from you. And he said, well, you got to give me 100 U.S. dollars. So I said, well... Okay, give me a receipt. And he goes, no, 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 no. You got to give me 100 US dollars, but I can't give you a receipt. Are you following me? And for the next months, the police would call me and text me every time. Like, hey, we need money for this or we need money for that. We were tormented. So finally, we moved out of the apartment to another apartment on the fourth floor. Within three weeks, we were broken in again. It was, a, it was an organized crime that was after my family. And it's in that place, my board and all, pretty much my family members, my wife and kids, they said, Dad, we had it. It's time to move. Let's go home. And can I tell you, I felt like I was stripped of everything. I felt like I was stripped of you know, all the anointing and all the prayers and whatever I can think of. I, I lost everything. Are you with me? But yet, deep in my spirit, I could not let go of what God had commissioned me to do years before when I held that girl in my hands. Are you with me? There was no glorious presence at that time. It's true. There was anguish. Because I'm like, God, what is this? I gave my life for you, and I lost everything. And here I am standing, and my wife is ready to pack. And she's like, if you're not coming, I'm going. <laughs> and my board have decided that you're coming out. Everyone is on a track for us to get out. I was the only person in my spirit that went, I, I, I understand but I can't because there's something that God spoke to me years ago that I cannot let up until I see it because he has said it. Are you following me? And the only thing at the time I had was just my faith and the words that God has spoken to me. And so can I tell you, I went into a bit of a marital crisis because my wife and I stood on opposite end. 
And she's like, your health is not good. We're in danger. This is enough. We have to move. My in-laws came into the picture, and they were trying to pull us out. My parents came into the picture. Like, people were pulling us out, and we bought a one-way ticket back to Toronto. Can you not? But yet, in that place, I kept saying, I, I can't do it. Please, bear with me. Give me a few days. Just hear me out. Seek the Lord. Pray about this. We need an answer from God because I cannot, I cannot leave. And after, after, after wrestling it out, after duking it out, she heard from the Lord that we should stay. Now, you know that decision cost us a lot. Because as soon as we made that decision, people who were supporting us financially began to threaten us and said, if you, pull out, if you don't pull out, you're an irresponsible father. You're an irresponsible husband. You're not thinking about your family first. God did not call you to sacrifice your family. Are you following me? Nice stuff. Are you with me? Nice stuff. And I understand where they're coming from. And the threat was, if you don't pull out, we will pull out our money. I felt like we were left on an island by ourselves with just the faith and the word. Felt like, oh God, if we do this, we're going to be doing this with less money now. Going back into the ministry. Going back into the field. But yet, together, we felt in our spirit that is the only right thing to do is to stay on. Are you with me? Because we haven't seen the fruition of what God has spoken to us. And so we did. We stayed. We lost funds. We lost funds. We lost supporters. My, some of my friends, when we went back to Toronto, we actually had to fly because this one-way ticket is too expensive. We flew, so we flew there and we flew back. And when I flew there and I said to my friends, I'm like, hey, let me tell you about what we do. And they said, I don't want to hear about what you do anymore. You tell me about everything else but what you do. Because I don't care. Are you, are you with me? We were, we were, it felt like we were, we were, we were forsaken. We had ourselves, pretty much, three boys, one wife, one husband. There was no manifest presence. Can I tell you, the church there is not like this. They sing one song 30 minutes. And the songs they sing are not songs like this. They sing songs like old school, man. Like, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. You know that one? No? Because it's really old, right? <laughs> well, after 30 minutes of the same line over and over again, I'm like, oh my gosh, there is no presence. Are you, are you with me? Okay, and then they bust out into their, 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 their Luganda singing and, you know, for two hours worship sometimes. And I'm like, oh God, there is no presence. You know, there is nothing that we can grab on. Are you with me? Right. And yet in that place... There was only the faith that we have left and the word that God spoken to us that we have to depend on. But isn't that place the Lord had to test us to see how far and how deep is our conviction? How far and how deep, and how deep is our conviction to carry out the command and the mission of God upon our life in that season for that time? 
Are you with me? As tough as it is, how much are we willing to persevere and endure and say, God, I will not let up because that is what you have promised until you said something else, which I have not heard you said that. So I will plow into the field until I see it. Some may call me stupid, but I don't care. Because for us, we know clearly what the Lord has said. And yes, we may not feel His presence right now. Yes, there is no, you know, intimate worship that we can experience through a church. Yes, we have our, our iPads and we can put on, you know, Bethel, Jesus' culture, but it's not the same. Are you with me? We can turn to our friends who try to counsel us, but they don't know how to counsel us because nobody has been through that. Are you with me? On record, we are the family with the most record of burglaries. Are you with we, we made the, the Guinness World, World, World Record. And so, but, but God was doing something in us. God was deepening the convictions of our life. God was defining who we are. God was defining His nature about who He is and who He is for us. Even in the midst of nothingness, He is still our God. And He's still our anchor, irregardless of what we feel or do not feel. Are you with me? And it's in that place where Jesus hung on the cross and He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in that place that He had lost everything. But He had something. And that was His faith. And that was the words that were spoken to Him by His Father. He knew what He had to do. Which is why at the end, He could say, It is finished. Because He knew what He had to do. Are you with me? All of us has something that God is convicting us to do. We are born with a purpose. We have something that God has called us to do that is above and beyond what you humanly can do. And I cannot tell you, it will cost you. It will cost you everything. It will cost you your comfort will cost you your wealth. <laughs> it will cost you your safety. It will cost you. Because when you step outside on a substance that you have no business stepping on, you're actually letting go of what you have known for all these years as your anchor. And it's in that place you're learning to anchor in Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Can I tell you, when we stayed on, the first thing that happened, you won't believe this, when we decided to stay on, as we had a phone call from the police commissioner of the Ugandan police force. And he heard about our case and he called me. And he said, Adrian, I'm the police commissioner. I'm like, thank you. Thanks for coming of the six robberies. It's a bit too late, but that's okay. And many extortions, thank you. And thank you for not pulling me out of Canyon Jail. That, that's fine. <laughs> and then he said, uh, what can I do to make you stay? He said that to me. 
And I said, uh, well, uh, what can you do to make me stay? He said, what do you need? Police guards, police dogs, secure walls, tanks, whatever, are going to put it all to make you stay. Because I recognize the transformation that you're doing to the lives of our people in this nation. Today he's my close friend. And he did what he did. We have two security guards in the night, two security guards in the day. We have two dogs. They still tried to poison our dog last this, this week. They did, actually. Okay? But we're convinced that even if we don't experience everything that we are familiar with, the presence, the relationships, and we have to draw on the faith and the words that God has spoken, how deep is my conviction? How deep is yours? Are you with me? Can I tell you something? When we stayed, my local team that I was building began to come together because they saw a guy that was willing to lay down his life for them. And as a result of that, my local team did the same for their own lives. Hmm? I had a guy, and I told this story on Friday, and I'll do that right now because I have 15 minutes left. Are you guys still with me? Yeah, yeah you sure? Okay. I had a guy on my team, his name is Michael, back in the 80s. He was part of the rebel group against the president of, U- of Uganda. And he was our driver for several years. Well, anyways, one day I was sitting with him over lunch when the team was out. And I finally said, hey, Michael, I know you as a driver. I know you as a mechanic. But I don't know you as a person. I want to know you. Tell me about your story. And he said, you, do, you don't want to know I'm like, no, 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 I I want to. He said, well, I was a POW several times. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right? Then he said, well, I murdered four people. And I'm like, oh, well, this is is not what I'm expecting, but it's my day off. (laughs) And then he said, well, the first person that I murdered, we were all captured. There were four of us captured. The first was ordered to kill the second, second ordered ordered to kill the third, and third was ordered to kill the fourth. And I was the third, third person as ordered to, ki- to break the neck of a grandmother and then bury her. And I was sitting there like, oh dear, there goes my buffet lunch. <laughs> and then he said, then I killed by knife, I shot someone, and I drowned someone. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm like, did you give your life to Jesus? He goes, yes, in prison. I'm like, good. Does the church know about this? He goes to church. When I came out of prison and I told the church and I told the pastors what I've done, but I'm a believer, they said I'm a murderer. And they said the only way you can be a part of the church is you stay outside of the front door of the church every Sunday and you sit there as one who has committed a crime. 
You can only come in before service start to say a quick prayer at the altar and then go back out and sit out there. By the way, these are mainstream churches that you and I would know. So I said, oh, does your family know about this? He goes, my family knows about this, but I'm such an angry person because of this. I beat my wife. I beat my children. All 15 children, by the way, he's been productive. <laughs> Left home. I don't want to have anything to do with me. I haven't seen them for years. Are you with me? And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, this, is, this, this lunch is getting more and more interesting now. And then he's... Then, and then he said, well, there was so much vengeance of the people that I murdered that they came after me, but because they couldn't find me, they found my wife, they gang raped her. True story. He's on my team. One of my leaders. The clan rejected him. The church rejected him. His family rejected him. And then he puts down his, his cutleries and he ran to his bedroom and he's all in tears now. Which, by the way, he said just before, he said, every night, I'll, almost every night, I'll wake up in torment of the people that I'll, I've killed. I can, I can see it. And so I gave him five minutes head start. I finally knocked on his door. He opened up, and he went to the furthest corner, furthest wall of the, of, from the door, and he stood, he stood there, and I walked in, and I said, Mike, has anyone touched that deep place that you've been carrying for all these years? And he, and he, and he shrugged. Shook his head. So I said, would you allow me to touch you? Are you with me? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Up to that point, no one can touch him. Because he is in defense mode. Anyone that comes close, he thinks he's going to kill him. They will get beat up first. So what I did was I ran up to him. And I kid you not, I gave him the tightest man hug of my life. One and only. Just boom, right there. You know, front to front, right? And, and, and he put his head on my shoulders and he cried and he wept and he cried and I cried along with him. Are you with me? And in that place, you know, I, I had my pastor head on at this point and I'm like, okay, well, what do I do, right? So I'm hugging him and I'm like, God, what should I do? Shabbat Yahura? You know, what do I do, right? <laughs> do I lay hands on him? Do I, in the name of Jesus, I break the soul ties? Do I cast out the spirit of murder? I don't know, you know. I'm just thinking all these things, right? And then, and then I heard the Lord said, just shut up and be Jesus in the flesh. <laughs> Are you with me? So I'm like, all right, all right, just shut up. Okay, so I just held him. I did not say a word. And as I was, and as I was holding him, I felt the same tangible exchange of love that came from my flesh to his flesh, to, from his flesh to mine. Just as I held that little girl many years ago, I experienced that with him. After 45 minutes of weeping, he falls to the floor. I pick him up and I say, Michael, I just want you to know the way I see you hasn't changed. Are you with me? There was no... He got up. He wiped his tears. He thanked me. And we parted ways. It was a very awkward man moment, you know. I didn't know what to do now. Song and dance, or I don't know. Overture, cut the lights. I don't know. So... I left the room. He left the room. My team came back. We went to another site. We're teaching on the Father Heart. Denominations came together and they argued about whether the Father Heart is conditional or unconditional love. Are you, are you with me? And I'm sitting in the middle of 25 pastors arguing from different denominations about this. 
And in the middle of that, Michael raised his hand, and everybody just went silent. I don't know why. And he stood up, and he said, you guys can argue all you want, but what this man is living is real because I've touched it. And he sat down. After we left, you know what he did? He went home. He went home. And the first thing he did was he told his wife, from now on every morning, I'm going to make you breakfast. And the wife thought, okay, this is kind of weird because men in that culture don't make breakfast, don't cook. Men sit at the top. Women sit at the bottom. Women cook. Women sit on the floor. Women don't sit on, sit on dining table. Are you with me? Is that kind of culture? And so here I am. Here he is, sorry. And he's like, well, let me make you breakfast every morning. And he does. Then he, be, he bought a dining table and said, Madam, I want you to sit right beside me at every meal. Then he said, Madam, let's go for a walk. Hand in hand. Are you following me? Okay. Then he said, Madam, I'm going to mop the floor. So he went to buy a mop and he starts mopping the floor. Then he said, Madam, I'm going to wash the laundry with you. And he washes the laundry with her. Okay. People from the clan comes by and goes, you are a mad man. You lost your pants. Okay. But it's like, you shut up. I know what I'm doing. Okay. So he washes the laundry with his wife. And next thing you know, the two of them begin to heal. Hmm? And then he pursued his 15 children that very Christmas. 14 of his children returned home and they had the first Christmas dinner in a long time together. Then on top of that, he began to invite people in his village that had been rejected. Orphans, lunatics, people who lost their minds. And he would invite them every day to come to his house. Some orphans he would take them to his house. He would clothe them, he would house them and he would send them to school. Village people would not do it, but he would do it. Are you with me? Okay. What has happened? Something is transforming. You see? He did not encounter. Can I tell you, I, I kid you not, if you ask him today, if he, stood, if he stood in front of you, he will tell you, Adrian has not laid hands on me and prayed even once. I did not pray. I'm, I'm a praying guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't pray, but I did not pray. He will tell you. Adrian did not do any form of deliverance of, or inner healing. He did not. He did not counsel me. All he did was he touched me. And he walked with me. Are you with me? And in that place, as he began to, as he began to live that transformed life with his wife and his kids, the churches began to recognize that this man has changed. And the churches began to invite him into the building and make him a leader over a few churches today. I'm serious. I'm not joking. True story. Okay? I, have, I even did an exercise. I brought him in front of his clan, clansmen, and I got, I got them to one by one say who this man is today. And with integrity, they're like, this man was like this, but today he's like this. And one by one begin to speak in, into his identity of what they saw, of what they see. Are you with me? Okay. Today, the clan is thinking of electing him as an elder of his clan, which means a tribal council. Are you with me? Okay. What did God do? God did something in this guy. You see, he 
had no experience with an encounter. He had no experience with you and I, what you and I would call a manifest presence. Are you with me? But what he had encountered was the very touch of love that spoke into his spirit with no external manifestation, but an internal seeding and a conviction of who he needs to become. Are you with me? And he was tested recently. True story. He had a business with his wife, and they were robbed, cleaned out. All their capital was taken. And in that tradition, when your wife loses all the money, okay, you bring your wife to the clan law, the clan court, and the clan will beat your wife. Are you with me? And he said to the clan, if you want to touch her, let me be the one be beaten, not my wife. Let me stand in the gap of my wife because it is my mistake, not my wife's. Are you with me? What has happened? It's a transformation. That comes from deep within. It's not a, it's not just an experience. It is not just a, whoa, I feel good after a a, a, a service. It's not, whoa, I feel good after a a moment of hitting the floor and flopping around like a fish and get up and like, ah, okay, I feel good. Uh Uh-uh, it's beyond that. Those things are good, but where does those things lead to? Are you with me? Because those things need to lead into a conviction of who you are to bring about a transformation so that your life becomes a revelation of it. Amen? And so for us, when we decided to stay, it was a pivotal point. Because these leaders were looking at our lives and they, were, and they actually told me, I didn't know if you're going to leave or to stay. But if you had left, it would be too premature for us. Because we, as sons to you, we need to glean off you through the relationship. Are you with me? We lost almost everything. We have our health. (laughs) But we had to stand in what we believed in. Mike, my friend, had to stand in what he believed in. What do you stand for? What does the city stand for? Is it a good Sunday service? You might not like me after this, but that's okay. I still like you. (laughs) Serious, is it a good Sunday service? Or is this more than that? Is it just a a good encounter and that's it? You go home to the same person that you are married with and you live the same life? Or is there a deeper thing that God is actually convicting you and I about? Week after week, time after time, encounters after encounters. Is God doing something in you? Is God transforming the nature of who you are to become like Him? Is God birthing a conviction about you and this church and this city that you're living in? Who are you supposed to be to the people around you? My friends, can I tell you this? Christian living is not just Sunday services. Come on now. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you will lose your life. I'm sorry. Because he takes you into deeper waters. I tell this, I tell this to my spiritual mom. I said, every season that Jesus takes us in, I don't want. <laughs> because it's even more scarier. Are you with me? 
Because where am I, I'm about to walk to, I don't have any more anchor that I can hang on to. But that is the adventure with Jesus. That is the journey with Jesus that he takes us through. You see, so that when we come to a point like Jesus at the cross, because we all died, we're all dead in Christ, aren't we? That's the point where God puts us where everything that who we made ourselves to be will die at the cross. I'm sorry. Hard message to hear, but he asked me to preach this, so I'm doing it. Blame him, not me. <laughs> but can I tell you, this is not about dying to yourself. This is, about, this is about an upgrade of who you are. God is upgrading you. God is upgrading me. God is upgrading the convictions in our hearts. God is upgrading the faith in our lives. God is upgrading the nature of who he is and who we are born to be in our life. But it's these moments that Jesus went through. It's these moments that we went through. It's these moments that Mike went through that determines how deep we can go and how far we will go with this. Amen? Can I pray? Yeah. Father, I thank you. I thank you because you are upgrading us. Yes, on one hand, we're dying to ourselves. But on the other hand, Lord, you're promoting us in you. And that, Lord, I thank you that this church, the city, is made into the likeness of Christ. That there's more that you have for us than we can possibly ever imagine. And, Lord, I pray Right now, in the name of Jesus, that you would change the way we see. You would change our lenses, oh God. Lord, you would change our perceptions, oh God. About our lives, about ourselves, about our relationships, about you. God, I pray that we would align with you in the vine. And Lord, I ask that you would put on a new lens in our spirit. That you would change the way we think to that of your kingdom. That Lord, we would be reformers of this nation. That Lord, we would reform not just the structure of Singapore, but Lord, we would reform relationships. We would change how relationships is done. Lord, let relationships be, be the very manifestation of your kingdom here on earth. Lord, I pray that this family here called the city will become one. Not three, not four, not five, but one. Let them know that we are your disciples by the love that we share with one another. Lord, I pray that you would change our attitude and change our perception about the person beside us, oh God. It begins with me. It begins with us. It begins with us dying to ourselves and upgrading to a new nature. I thank you, God, that you called us to do the impossible. You've called us to do the impossible. Lord, I pray that we would find courage to step on water. We will find boldness to step on water. That, Lord, we will be people that are matured 
in your nature. Far beyond the anointing. Far beyond the provisions. That Lord, our very inner men will be like you. Thank you, Father.